My body has been fighting a cold all week long, and I'm just getting to the end of it. So uh, praise God for that. Um, but now there's, it's wanting to get stuff out. So please forgive me if uh, that does happen because it just happens. Uh, but praise God. Praise God for uh, today. That it's, uh, it's the beginning of Passion Week. It's the, the week that we begin to focus our minds and our hearts, hopefully. I pray that you are. Um, on what happened so long ago. So it is the beginning of what we call Holy Week. And by the way, just, to, just as a uh, passing by and, and mention before I uh, continue on, we do have a little bit of some goodies downstairs um, that, uh, that was brought, some squash and some other stuff. So praise God for that. Even though we're not having the uh, potluck afterwards, we can still enjoy that afterwards. And next week, for sure, after the services, we will be having, and uh, like I said, if you want to start a list of something, I, I will supply the hams. Uh, Carrie's going to bring some pulled pork. So protein is on the table. Meat is on the table, boys. So praise God for that. So um, um, it is the beginning of Holy Week. Uh, Christians all over the world recognize this, celebrate it. Um, this was one of the, uh, with this, the, our little visitors, we had a chance probably to promote the, our uh, weekend services more than we have been able to in uh, uh, the past years. It's been, it's been really nice. And um, so it is a, it's a look back. Today we're going to look back in history um, into all those, those events. We had the little Dominican uh, um, donkey that was here, little Rose, and uh, she has been, gosh, she's, I think she's been here every year since we've come here. She's that old, and uh, she's the one that he always brings. And uh, so praise God for that. Um, but we'll be looking at, uh, at history. And today, I'm not going to... Uh, I've made... It's, sermon's pretty short, because I figured we'd be kind of short on time. But, um, but uh, that's never stopped me. So, <laughs> uh, But uh, that was supposed to be a joke, y'all. Um, <laughs> um, so we're, we want to look back in history and we want to see these, these, these events. And I want to, in particular, um, have us think about the idea that um, back in history at that, at that time, people were, were busy, their minds were already looking forward. There was going to be a high holy day that was coming. It was going to be Passover. And it was going to be a, um, a real important day that they were preparing for. And as they were doing this, um, here's this itinerant preacher who's performed all these different miracles, who's said things that nobody else has ever said, who's challenged the power structure. And, and here in, in, uh, in Luke, where, where I chose to, uh, um, to delve into with this, uh, the triumphal entry, that's what today signifies. That's what the, the palm fronds and, and uh, the donkey and all the different animals, because it's, they had an agrarian um, culture. There was animals that they would hear bleeding, the sheep and the cows mooing and all the things that took place. So it was very reminiscent of what we just experienced with all the, the smells, the things that animals do. And here, this person that we know of as Jesus, Jesus, 
Yeshua, um, he is beginning his week and his walk towards what is going to be one of the most holy, but also one of the most wicked days in human history. And he didn't shy away from it. And that's what I want to focus on today. Jesus walked straight into his destiny. He walked straight forward. And even though those disciples that were with him, as we're going to see, they didn't comprehend what it was that he was saying to them. They couldn't conceive of what he was telling them. But here you had this scene where Jesus is uh, getting ready for, uh, um, for this whole event. And he tells his disciples what to do ahead of time. So with that, let's go ahead and read here in Luke chapter 19. We will be in um, verse 28. So starting there, he's, he's uh, given some different parables and, and uh, he's talking to the people around him. And then the scene shifts as he begins to, um, to do what he has already been doing. Jesus had walked his whole entire life to fulfill the prophecies that were spoken of him. And he entered into his ministry when he was about 30 years of age. And so this is getting towards the end of his ministry. And oftentimes we don't think about it. This is towards the end of his life here on earth as a human being like you and I. The incarnate Son of God who's moving steadily forward and He's telling His disciples, His followers, what is going to take place. And He says here in verse 28, it's written for us and recorded, and it reads as following. And after He had said these things, He was going ahead, or going on ahead, ascending to Jerusalem. And it came about when He had approached Bethpage and Bethany, near the mount that is called Olivet, He sent two of his disciples, saying, Go into the village opposite you, in which, uh, as you enter, you will find a colt tied, on which no one yet has ever sat. Untie it and bring it here. And if anyone asks you, Why are you untying it? Thus shall you speak, The Lord has need of it. And those who were sent away and found it, just as he had told them, As they were untying the colt, its owners said to them, Why are you untying the colt? It's a good question. And they said, Lord, the Lord has need of it. And they brought it to Jesus, and they threw their garments on the colt and put Jesus on it. And as uh, as he was going, they were spreading their garments in the road. And as he was now approaching near the descent of the Mount of Olives, the whole multitude of the disciples began to praise God joyfully with a loud voice for all the miracles which they had seen, saying, Blessed is the King who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. And some of the Pharisees in the multitude said to him, Teacher, rebuke your disciples. And he said to them, I tell you, if, it, if these become silent, the stones will cry out. And when he had approached, 
he saw the city and he wept over it. Saying, if you had only known in this day, even you the things which make for peace, but now you have been, they have been hidden from your eyes. For the days shall come upon you when your enemies will throw up a bank before you and surround you and hem you in on every side and will level you to the ground and your children within you and they will not leave in you one stone upon another because you did not recognize the time of your visitation. And he entered the temple and began to cast out those who were selling saying to them, It is written, My house shall be a house of prayer, but you have made it a robber's den. And he was teaching daily in the temple. But the chief priests and the scribes and the leading men among the people were trying to destroy him. And they could not find anything they might do, for all the people were hanging upon his words. Let's pray. Father, thank you for these words that we have recorded for us. Thank you, Lord, that your Holy Spirit moved men to write these and record these, that we might know what took place, that we might see the importance of those old prophets, that they would illumine our minds and our hearts even more now than they did then. It was obscure to the people at the time, but it becomes more and more clear as we go on and we mature in the faith. And we see the importance of it. Lord, we thank you that we have these written. And that you are the one who leads us and guides us. We thank you. Help us to hang on every word of Jesus, just like the people of that day. And Father, I pray that you would be glorified, that you would be magnified, that we remember. We remember all that took place because you recorded it for us, that we might know you. And for that, Lord, we can't thank you enough, but we do thank you and we praise you that we have this here so that we can know you and know what took place. Thank you, Father, for everything. In Jesus' holy name, amen. (coughs) Excuse me. That might happen a time or two. So imagine Jesus um, knowing what's coming. And how do we know what, what he has uh, said that he knows? How do we know that he knows what's coming? And how do we know that the disciples were told? Well, he tells us specifically, it's written for us in Matthew chapter 20, verses 17 through 19. And we'll go through these kind of quickly. Um, because the title of the message is, For Whom Do You Wait? The people were waiting for the Messiah to come. They knew that it was foretold that there was one who was going to come. The problem was they had their idea of who this person was going to be. They had fixed in their minds and in their hearts what to expect and what not to expect. And those expectations were very self-centered. They were centered on self and self-preservation and self-aggrandizement and the like. They weren't about the things of God. Because they couldn't understand. Um, And and we're going to see that. In Matthew chapter 20, verses 17 through 19, um, Jesus is with his disciples. 
there's a, a group of them that are, that are there with him. But he, uh, uh, he takes his disciples, specifically the 12, and he takes them aside and he begins to tell them, hey, we're going to go into Jerusalem. And as it says in Isaiah, he set his face like flint. He went forward. He knew what was going to happen. He was headed toward the most horrific and the most wicked and the most evil and dark day in human history. And oftentimes we don't think about that. We're, we're going to this Friday uh, uh, commemorate and remember what took place that night. And it is, it is really the most wicked and evil day in the history of mankind. It's when man in his fallen nature and his jealousy and his pettiness and his sinfulness essentially wanted to eliminate God from all of history. They wanted their place. They wanted to take their place in, in the annals of history. And Jesus, knowing all this, knowing what was going to take place, and we know this because of what is written. And it's very important that we understand these things. So in Matthew um, chapter 20, he gathers his 12 together, and it says here in Matthew 20, verses 17 through 19, as Jesus went ab uh, about, was about to go up to Jerusalem, he took the 12 disciples aside by themselves. So he gathers them away like a hen gathers her chicks, right? And he takes them away from the big crowds, and now he's going to explain something to them. And he says to them, on the way he said to them, in verse 18, Behold, we are going up to Jerusalem, and the Son of Man will be delivered into the chief, unto the chief priests and scribes, and they will condemn him to death, and will hand him over to the Gentiles to mock and scourge and crucify. And on the third day he will be raised up. So he knows that's what's going to take place. He knows that's what's going to happen. And he's telling them specifically what is going to take place. In Mark chapter 10, verses 32 and 34, we have recorded for us the similar uh, event. And there he says, um, beginning in verse 32 of, of Mark 10, he says, And they were on the road going to, up to Jerusalem. And Jesus was walking on ahead of them. And they were amazed. And those who followed were fearful. And again, he took the twelve aside and began to tell them what was going to happen to him, saying, Behold, we are going up to Jerusalem, and the Son of Man will be delivered to the chief priests and the scribes, and they will condemn him to death, and will hand him over to the Gentiles. They will mock him, and spit on him, and scourge him, and kill him. And three days later he will rise again. And finally in Luke chapter 18, um, this same uh, uh, event that took place is recorded for us in Luke chapter 18 verses 31 through 34. And it's recorded for us in verse 31, Then he took the twelve aside and said to them, Behold, we are going up to Jerusalem. And all the things which are written through the prophets about the Son of Man will be accomplished. By the way, that's why old prophets are important. Amen. 
because they tell us exactly what to expect. And they're just as important, if not more so today, than they were then. Because like I said, in the, uh, that for them at the time, these prophecies were pretty obscure. They really didn't know these things. And in fact, it wasn't until after the resurrection, in one of my favorite passages, where Jesus himself, as the risen one, explains to them from the scriptures everything. And he says, says that it's recorded for us in Luke that he explained everything from Moses forward and all the prophets that spoke of him, that spoke of what was to take place. That's why they're important. That's why we need them. That's why we need to stress them. That's why we can't just set them aside. That's why we don't just unhitch the Old Testament from the New Testament. Because he says right here specifically, Behold, we are going up to Jerusalem, and all things which are written, where they're written? In what we know today as the Old Testament. In those days it would have been in the scrolls, which are written through the prophets about the Son of Man will be accomplished. They will be. Then he says in verse 32, For he will be handed over to the Gentiles and will be mocked and mistreated and spit upon. Goes into pretty good detail. Tells them exactly what's going to happen. And after they have scourged him, they will kill him. And I love this. On the third day, he will rise again. Now listen. This is why I've titled this message, For Whom Do You Wait? Because the very next verse says, but, this is what Luke, and thank thank God for Dr. Luke who wrote this and recorded it for us, because he was getting the information from these very people, the eyewitnesses, and he says, writes of them, but the disciples understood none of these things. And the meaning um, of the statement was hidden from them. And they did not comprehend the things that were said. So Jesus is in essence alone. They don't comprehend. They can't comprehend. It was hidden from them. Well, who hid it from them? Did Jesus hide it from them? He just told them exactly what was going to happen. I don't know if you've ever sat and pondered this whole thing. It was specifically kept from them. And as I've said before, I believe at this time they were not regenerated yet. They couldn't understand. They didn't have the Holy Spirit. That would come later, some 70 or plus days later after this time. And they couldn't understand. It was kept from them. It was hidden from them and they did not comprehend. You know what they heard when Jesus was telling them exactly what was going to happen? That's all they heard. They didn't get it. And he didn't let that stop him. You know, if you read from the triumphal entry all the way until the day that they, the night that they came and got him, and the night on which he was betrayed, he went forward. And he taught. He didn't focus on what was going to happen. He's told them what's going to happen. He's told them how they're going to treat him. 
He's told them about the injustice. He's told them about that. And I want you to imagine that. Imagine that you're a week out and you know you're going to be in a certain place and you're going to be amongst a bunch of people and you know that you're going to be given over to the law and they're going to spit on you. And they're going to mock you. And they're going to beat you. And after all that, after they falsely committed you and falsely sentenced you and falsely tried you in a kangaroo court, they're going to kill you. And they're going to hang you on a cross. Imagine not thinking about that. Not letting that be the center of your focus. So great is the love of Christ for the Father and for us. He didn't think about it. He went forward. And the people who were receiving him at this time with, with the, the palm fronds and all the things and all the stuff that was going on, laying down the clothing and the, the, the leaves on the, on the dill so the donkey could walk on them and receiving him and crying out, Hosanna, Hosanna, praise, praise God, Hosanna in the highest. Blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord. Imagine, after all that, the rejection, the hatred, the wickedness, the evil that would be poured out, and he didn't let that stop him. Jesus was not deterred from any of those things, about any of those things. And I believe that he told them that so that later on the Holy Spirit would remind them, don't you remember Jesus told you this? And you knew it ahead of time. You just didn't know that you knew it. Because remember what Jesus says in John. He says before he leaves, he's, he's in this time frame, he's telling them, the Father's going to send the Holy Spirit. And I'm going to send the Holy Spirit. And when he comes on you, he's going to remind you of all these things. Don't worry, He's going to be with you. He's going to teach you. He's going to open your minds. He's going to open your hearts. But the people, what were they waiting for? For whom were they waiting? They wanted this Victorian, or excuse me, this victorious king who would overthrow the Roman government. They wanted somebody to fix their problems right now. They wanted somebody who would uh, deliver them from all the oppression. They wanted somebody who was going to give them what they've always wanted. They wanted their best life now. That's what they wanted. And Jesus knew that that's not what He came for. And they couldn't understand that that's what He came for. They had a whole different understanding. And so Jesus wasn't deterred by any of that, knowing all these things. He wasn't deterred from the purpose that he was sent to earth for. The purpose of the incarnation, the purpose of the eternal Son of God taking on a body of flesh like yours and ours and mine to be able to walk forward and to continue on this journey. He came that we might have life and that abundance knowing all that was going to happen. He told them ahead of time. It wasn't hidden from him, it was hidden from them. Because they were already fearful. 
They knew that these guys wanted him. They knew that the priests and the scribes and the Pharisees and the Sadducees, they knew that they wanted to kill Jesus. And in fact, somewhere it's written for us in one of the Gospels where uh, I think it's Philip who says, "Ah, let's just go to Jerusalem and die. Because he knows. It's recorded for us. He's like, that's what we're going there for, I guess. So he understood that they were going to be the ones What he didn't understand was that when this all took place, that they would be scattered and they would leave their shepherd. No, he didn't let that deter them. He didn't let the knowledge of the unbelief of the people, he, his his people, he didn't let that stop him from doing what he came for, from completing the foretold reasons for his coming. And in your bulletins, you have all those areas in Scripture that kind of speak of this ahead of time. To fulfill the law, to live that perfect life according to the law, which we can never do, and die a death which we can never die. He went forward. He persisted. He didn't let that stop him. It didn't deter him. He went forward and... and and I think it's important for us to think about that. Normally this time of the, this message is a lot more uplifting and we're talking about those glorious things, but we cannot forget that. We cannot forget that He knew all of these things that were going to happen and still He went. In spite of the inability of these 12 men to grasp what it was that was really truly happening. And he didn't look at it as a betrayal, except for the one who betrayed him. And even him he loved. He didn't let that stop him. But the people were waiting for something that they misunderstood. They were waiting for someone who they had created in their own minds. And so it is today. Some of the people that we talk to have their own idea of who Jesus is. And they don't know the true Jesus. In fact, they say things like, hey, we don't even need to pay attention to those old prophets. We can't let it override the new stuff because the new stuff is cooler. The new stuff's for the cool kids. That old stuff is... No. It's not like that at all. It's just the opposite. The old stuff is just as important, if not more so now, because... It proves what we have known if we are in Christ. That this is true. That this is the only place where we can look to and find all the details that we know that God has given so that we might know Him. And yet, He still visits us individually that we might come to Him. Although the people of His time failed... And not all of them did, but at this moment they did because nobody understood except Him. Jesus was the loneliest person ever. All eternity, all He's experienced is holiness, deity, perfection, righteousness. And now He's amongst a bunch of losers a bunch of also-rams. 
a bunch of sinners. I can't imagine that because I'm not holy. But I want you to try. I try to imagine that. What would it be like to be amongst these people, to tell them everything that's going on, but they just don't get it? And some of us, when we share the gospel, we have that response, right? And we know how that feels. We want so desperately for them to know what we know, to know who we know, not just what we know, but to know who we know. That's what we want. And Jesus didn't let any of that um, deter him. Not all of them had failed. Don't get me wrong, none of them, um, like us, none of them were worthy or are worthy of God's love. None of them are worthy of God's forgiveness. None of them are worthy of, of God seeking after them. None of them are worthy of God's redemption. But he went forward anyways. None of us will ever be or could be worthy. We can't make ourselves worthy. It's not possible. Because you have to start out with perfection and you can never derail from perfection. That's what God requires, perfection. The only way that you get into heaven is through perfection. And you're not perfect and I'm not perfect. And we'll never be perfect in and of ourselves. But Christ's perfect Righteousness is what covers us. That's what we're dependent upon. That's why we can say, when I die, I'm going to be with Jesus. And when people say, well, that's kind of arrogant, isn't it? It's like, no. And I like to remind people, I deserve hell. That's what I should get. That's what I deserve. That's what I've earned. That's what I've worked for. On my best day. Doing my best, so-called. But because of the righteousness of Christ, because He paid that price on the cross, and that's what He was headed for, for that fateful day. He was headed towards it because that's what He came to do. And all it took was for God to intercede, to intercede on their behalf and to intercede on our behalf. That's what He does. And if it wasn't for the fact that God does intercede and causes us to be regenerate, none of us would be saved. Not a soul would be saved. We'd all be walking on rotted wooden floors that are hovering over the pits of hell. That's what we would be doing. Just waiting for that moment for that floor to give in and we would fall into the depths of hell, into the hellfire forever into contempt eternally. But that's not what Jesus came for. He came so that we might have life, hallelujah, and life abundant, praise God. That we might be saved and redeemed. That's what, why we celebrate this time. He didn't let that deter Him. He didn't let that stop Him. He didn't let all the negativity and all the stuff stop Him. No, he had a job to do. He came here with a mission. And his mission was completed. Unlike the George W. Bush debacle when he said mission complete, he was wrong. It was way back in the 90s. You probably don't even know what I'm talking about. I'm a little bit of a news junkie, so I do. But 
unlike them. And I've heard, and it's sad for me to say this, but I've heard some pastors in supposed Christian churches that say that this was Jesus' greatest defeat. This was God's failing. I would dare say, if I had a chance to speak with those pastors, you don't know what the gospel is about. You need to check your salvation, because I don't believe that you're saved if you actually believe that. You have no idea what the cross was about. You have no idea what it was that Jesus was headed towards. He was headed so that he could redeem humanity to God. So that he could give us new hearts. So that he could make us born again. So that he could make us regenerated. And so that he could make us new creatures. That's what he came to do. To remove from us the guilt of our sin and to pay for it. He came so that your name would either be written on that cross or not. For whom do you wait? That's the message that, that I got from this as I'm thinking about this. And I'm thinking of this for myself. Who am I waiting for? Am I waiting for that Jesus that will be the one who you join the crowds on the day when you have a choice and you say, Crucify! Crucify Him! Away with him. And even more so when they say, let his blood be upon us. They had no clue what they were saying and what hell they were calling upon themselves. Or are you going to be the group that is waiting for that one who is the redeemer? For the one who is the great deliverer? And by the way, um, I believe that when you are a Christian, you are delivered. I don't believe you have to be delivered at some other point. I'm sorry, I don't see that theologically and biblically. I know it's very popular right now. There's a movie out right now that talks about that. But I'm sorry, I don't see that in Scripture. I don't see anywhere in the New Testament where nothing except unbelievers are possessed. I don't believe that believers can be possessed. But you can sure make a mess out of your life when you take your eyes off of Jesus as a believer. So don't do that. Well, if you do, just repent of it. So are you going to be part, which group, or whom do you wait? The Jesus that you're going to cry crucify? Or the Jesus that you will say, my Lord and my God? The Jesus that you'll say, thank you. The Jesus that you'll say to, remember me when you come into your kingdom. Is that who you are? You have to answer that question for yourself. This is what we do. This is what we have to do. And we are to warn continually of the wrath to come. Because God is a God of wrath. I was talking with a gentleman a a while ago and he, he was given the same thing that he has this God idea of God is a God of love because he had such a legalistic uh, uh, background of a false God who's no God at all and all the things that he had to do because he wasn't meeting them up. He was continually harangued 
and oppressed because he couldn't meet up to their expectations. And I got a chance to tell him, I said, well, here's the truth. God is a God of love. There's no doubt about that. He's a God of mercy and grace, and you can know him. But I also have to tell you, he's a God of wrath, and there is a wrath to come. There's a day of vengeance. Yesterday, there was supposed to be a day of vengeance that the transgender community was going to do. Well, there is a day of vengeance, a real day of vengeance, and that day is going to come. Jesus came so that he could face that vengeance, so that he could face that wrath, so that God could be satisfied. And he didn't have to remain the God of wrath. He could be the God of peace, the God of mercy, and the God of grace. That's what he came to do. If you've already received him and are born again, but feel like you've gone astray or not worshipped or adored him the way that you desire to, then just recommit yourself to doing it. That's the great thing about grace. As you can say, God, forgive me and help me. Help me to worship you like I want to worship you. Help me to follow you the way that I want to follow you. Forgive me of all that, my weakness, and it's okay to bring God your weakness. It's okay to bring, bring God in your, in your prayer. Lord, I'm weak. Help my, help my weakness. Strengthen me in these areas. Because I want to know you. I want to follow you. I want to worship you. I want to adore you. I want to hear from you. I want to seek your face. I want to know what that's all about. Or maybe you've never received him. Maybe you've never known him. You have to receive him. Because that's what it says in, in John chapter 1. As many as received him, to them he gives the right to become a child of God. No one's a child of God unless you receive Jesus. And when you receive him, you're given essentially the keys to the kingdom. He gives you everything. That's the wonder of the gospel. That Jesus did die. An innocent, the only innocent person that's ever lived. He came and gave his life. He didn't let it stop him. He continued on. And that's what this celebration is all about. That we can celebrate. He did it. He came. He entered Jerusalem knowing that he's going to be betrayed. He did it. He has done it. There was no defeat for God. There was no defeat for Jesus. That's what the enemy thought. It's very possible that that's what the enemy always had in mind. Oh, if we can just kill this person, then we don't have to worry about him anymore. <whistles> Boy, were they wrong. Boy, were they wrong. And when they see him coming back in the clouds, forget about it. The majority of people are going to be fearful because vengeance is coming. Even though the people rejected him, he came. He went forward. He came to do what he had been called to do. But there's also that same day that vengeance will come is the same day that we will be united with Christ once for all. Never again to be separated. Never again to be people of faith. It's kind of hard to think about. We won't be people of faith at that time anymore. 
Because you won't need faith. He'll be right there. He'll be real. Not that He's not real now, but I mean, we will be able to physically see. Physically. and He's going to wipe away every tear. Yes, if you're His, if you repent of your sin and come to Christ and believe in Him and trust in Him and receive Him, He will touch your face and wipe away the tears. That's what is promised. That's what this is about. That's why it's a celebration. That's why it's such a wonder. Knowing everything that was going to happen, He still came. And He has done it. He has done it. So let us rejoice in that. Let us rejoice. If you've never received Him, cry out, Hosanna. Save now. That's what it means. Cry out, Hosanna. Save me now. And God will. Because it says that anyone who calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. You will be. If you go to Him by faith. And you just repent of your sin and come to Him. That's what He came for. Which group are you going to be in? The one who just wants all of God's privileges and all of God's stuff? Or would you be broken enough to cry out to God and say, I'm a sinner and I need forgiveness. Save me now. That's what he came for. That's what this whole week is all about. For whom do you wait? The Jesus who you cry crucify or the Jesus that you'll say, remember me when you come into your kingdom. Let's pray. Father, how we thank you for your goodness and your grace and your mercy. Thank you for your kindness and your glory, the wonder of you. Thank you for the beautiful weather that you gave us that we asked for, Lord. You're so good, beyond what we can think or imagine. Thank you, Lord, even for the snow that's to come. Thank you, Lord, for everything. Thank you for Jesus, that he went forward. Help us to receive that Jesus would go to the cross and carry our sin and carry our burden. That's what your word says. And by his stripes we are healed. He was wounded for our transgressions. He took it all there at the cross. Thank you, Lord Jesus, for facing that wrath that I will never have to face. Thank you for this day. Thank you that we can worship and know you. We praise you, Lord. We thank you. We bless you in Jesus' holy name. Amen. Amen.